When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hey, everyone. Greg Baird here. Before I begin today's story, I want to take a moment and ask that you check me out on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. There are several tiers with great benefits, from ad-free content to t-shirts and other cool stuff. And I have plenty of wonderful merch in my store, and the link is in my show notes. As well, if you're a fan of Canadian history, make sure you check out all of my shows, from John to Justin, Canadian History X, Canada, A Yearly Journey, and Pucks and Cups, along with Canada's Great War. And don't forget, you can also donate directly to the show at www.canadaehx.com. Just click Donate. It helps keep this show going. Okay, on with the show. I'm Craig Baird, and this is From John to Justin. Well, after a bit of a break, we're back, and we're going to be looking at a variety of premieres, so I hope you join me on this journey. We've come to the last of the first five premieres of Manitoba, and after this we'll look at the first five premieres of Newfoundland. So for number five, we have the man who led the province for nine years through four elections and remains the eighth longest serving premier in Manitoba's history, John Norquay. Unlike the previous premiers we covered, John Norquay was born in the area that is now Manitoba at St. Andrews in the Red River Colony on May 8, 1841. His ancestors were workers with the Hudson's Bay Company who sailed along the shores of Hudson Bay in the 18th century. His maternal grandmother was Elizabeth Vincent, who was the daughter of a country marriage between an HBC officer and a Métis woman. Norquay's father, John, worked at Norway House and was known for his reliability and ability to take on any task. Soon after John was born, his mother died in 1843, followed by his father when he was eight. At this point, he was raised by his grandmother and by teachers at the local school in the Red River area. He quickly emerged as a gifted student and became the protege of David Anderson, who was the bishop for Rupert's Land at the time. He studied Greek and Latin in school and became fluent in French. Upon his graduation in 1857, Norquay remained in the Red River area and began to teach. By the age of 17, he was the master of St. James Church School. In 1861, he married Elizabeth Settler, a Métis woman whom he had met two years previous when he moved to Parkdale. For a time, Norquay was a farmer, but he did not have much success with that, nor with being a fur trader along Lake Manitoba. During this time, the couple lived in a log house with a mud fireplace and chimney. Their clothes were handmade, and their flour came from the wheat that they grew on their land. It was a time of leanness, but the couple were happy together. We worked hard, we did not have much, but our needs were simple. We had never believed we could live on fish, as we had to do when the grasshoppers came and ate everything green. 
Together, the couple had eight children, born between 1863 and 1881. When the Red River resistance began in 1869, Norquay played a small role, but it inspired him to get involved in public life. He had attended several meetings put on by the provisional government, and his cousin was elected to the government. In the first election in Manitoba's history on December 27, 1870, he was acclaimed in his riding of High Bluff. In 1871, Alfred Boyd resigned as provincial secretary, and he suggested that someone of Métis background be put into cabinet in his place. As a result, Norquay was appointed as the Minister of Public Works and the Minister of Agriculture. At this point, his finances began to improve, and the couple were able to live in a nice neighborhood, and their children attended the best schools. Due to his size of being six foot tall and his weight over 300 pounds, political cartoonists of the time poked fun at him, drawing him smashing chairs with his weight or making rude comments about his Métis heritage. At the same time in 1872, Norquay ran for Parliament, which was allowed at the time, but he lost and never again tried to run for federal office. As the Minister of Public Works, he was responsible for ensuring roads were built and maintained, bridges were constructed, and public buildings were erected. In this capacity, he was good at his job and was well respected within the government. At the same time, the population of Manitoba was exploding, rising from 12,000 in 1870 to 30,000 in 1877, and it continued to double every four years. In 1874, Norquay put forward an electoral redistribution bill that was met with opposition from both French and English MLAs. The government soon fell and Norquay was not placed in the cabinet of either Marc Girard or Robert Davis. By this point, Norquay was getting prominence with the Métis and French communities, and when Davis needed support from his French residents, he asked Norquay to join his cabinet in March 1875. Norquay accepted, and brought with him enough support to keep the government aloft for the next three years. In November 1878, after Davis resigned, Norquay was asked to replace him as premier. Soon after, he went through the December 18, 1878 election and was re-elected with 17 MLAs out of 24, although he only won his riding by 8 votes. The Ottawa Daily Citizen wrote, The provincial elections were held today. All the members of the government have been elected. What constituencies that have been heard from give the government about two-thirds of the members of the House? After the election, Joseph Royale, the leader of the Francophone parliamentary bloc at this point, stopped supporting Norquay and his government, choosing instead to support Thomas Scott, the opposition leader and an orangeman. It was the hope of the two men that they could bring in party politics, while Norquay wanted to keep non-partisan parties. A reason that Norquay supported non-partisan politics was he felt it strengthened him when he was negotiating with Ottawa. In response to this, Norquay forged an alliance with all of the British MLAs except Scott, expelled the French Canadians from his cabinet, gave anti-French speeches, and then passed a series of bills that were detrimental to the Francophones of the province. One such bill reduced the number of writings for Francophones from 9 to 6. He also abolished the printing of some official documents in French. He wrote to Sir John A. Macdonald in June 1879 stating, I regret very much that I had to adopt such extreme measures with Royale, but his treachery left me no alternative. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. 
Also hoping to keep some support from the French community, he asked former Premier Marc Girard to rejoin his cabinet. On December 16, 1879, with the support of Girard, Norquay won another election and a new mandate, the Brantford newspaper wrote. The recent elections for the local legislature in Manitoba have resulted strongly in favour of the Norquay government. A strong attempt was made to introduce Dominion politics into the contest, but it was evidently unsuccessful, the people not appearing to have a very favourable opinion on the matter. Of course, other newspapers like the Kingston Daily News reported that it was an overwhelming loss for the Norquay government. It stated, It is confidently believed that Mr. Norquay will be unable to reconstruct the government and that a conservative administration must succeed. As Premier, Norquay had to contend with the rising population and that resulted in the spending of the government rising from 90000 when he took office to 700000 by the mid-1880s. But with a new mandate, Norway began to push for railway development in the province. There was also accusations that he prevented local rail lines from being built because he was being paid by the CPR and Johnny MacDonald to support the CPR's monopoly. And there was some truth to this. In 1883, MacDonald prevented 10,000 protest leaflets from being distributed in the province by the Orange Order, which would have shifted support for the government. Soon, the railroad boom collapsed in 1882 in Winnipeg, and many felt it was the freight rates of the CPR that caused it. At the heart of this was a two-decade monopoly that the CPR was given. By this point, while Norquay told the public he was nonpartisan, his government was forming along conservative lines. When the January 23, 1883 election occurred, the conservative candidates under him won 19 of 30 seats, while the Liberals won only 11. Around this time, the Sons of Temperance approached Norquay on the matter of temperance textbooks in public schools, and by all accounts, he did what he could to make it happen. Sir Johnny MacDonald often supported Norquay, even though he didn't really like him, because he needed the support of the province in building the railroad. He took the side of Norquay when a boundary dispute began with Ontario, and most importantly, he visited Manitoba to help boost the Conservative support in the 1886 election. It's generally accepted that without MacDonald coming to the province, Norquay would have lost. In 1886, the Hudson Bay Railway project was moving forward, but once again, due to his need for the support of Sir John and MacDonald, Norquay effectively killed the deal. He said, There was the question of traffic, and there were other outlets which were requiring more immediate attention to the people of the Northwest than the road to which it was referred. Soon enough, though, he would start to change his view. The partnership between the two men came to an end in 1887 when Norquay's government reversed its policy against local railways and promoted the Red River Valley Railway. This came about because Norquay had taken a trip through the province and saw how branch railways could help the province and its industries with new land booms. His government paid $256,000 compensation to the CPR, but Sir Johnny MacDonald disallowed the land transfer. MacDonald and the CPR were not happy and it would have a detrimental impact on Norquay's career. Throughout 1887, he attempted to drum up support for a Red River Valley Railway. He travelled to Chicago, New York, Toronto, and Montreal to find funds, but each time he arrived in a city, agents of MacDonald had already been there and ruined any chance for funding for Norquay. It was said at one point Norquay had broken down crying in New York. In September 1887, accusations came forward that the provincial government was using the trust funds of Métis children as general revenue. Norquay was called to resign, and without the support of the CPR MacDonald, he had no friends on his side as his own cabinet ministers abandoned him. It was said that Norquay was the most popular man in the province in the summer of 1887 and was a failure by the end of the year. The Toronto World wrote on December 16th, 
It is stated that notwithstanding his size and weight, John Norquay is the best dancer in Manitoba, but the taxpayers up there complain that they have to pay the piper. Norquay resigned as Premier on December 23, 1887. After he resigned, he continued to profess his innocence of any wrongdoing, but he was no longer trusted by those around him. MacDonald also refused to give him a public service job, and Norquay took a job as a law clerk to make money. He continued to serve in the legislature, but made little money at it. In the subsequent provincial election on July 11, 1888, Norquay was barely re-elected in his riding by only three votes. He was appointed as a leader of the opposition, but had no real power. By the early part of 1889, he was selling insurance to supplement his income. In early July, he was suddenly struck with pains in his abdomen, and he was unable to sleep, and his condition continued to get worse. And then he died on July 5, 1889. His death came as a shock to many. The Manitoba Weekly Free Press wrote, A sudden shock was given to many citizens Friday night by the announcement that John Norquay was dead. Very few had heard that he was ill, for his sickness was of very short duration and severe. A postmortem stated there was a pouch in one part of his small intestine that was filled with undigested oranges. This gave rise to a twist in the bowels, which produced an obstruction that apparently killed him. Upon his death, Norquay was memorialized by those who had previously vilified him in 1887. Residents of Manitoba contributed a dollar each to erect a monument in his honor. Sir John and MacDonald wrote a letter of condolence to Norquay's widow. He said publicly, I always liked Norquay personally, and regret much his untimely death. He would lay in state in the legislative building. In attendance at his funeral was the Chief Justice of Manitoba, several members of Parliament, Premier Greenway, and several members of the legislature. In later years, Norquay's time as Premier would be remembered as a time when Manitoba was developing itself. Under his guidance, the province saw its population increase tenfold, and government services expanded at the same time. The Manitoba Free Press said, Though he did not reach an advanced age, he was a witness of progress more remarkable than it has been the lot of any other Canadian premier to see, and he took a very prominent part in making the history of his native province. Norquay Street, Norquay School, and Norquay Park in Winnipeg are named for him. In 1904, Mount Norquay in Banff National Park was named for him. Norquay had tried to summit the mountain in 1887 or 1888, but due to his poor health, he was unable to reach the top. I hope you enjoy that episode and our look at John Norquay. Next week, we're looking at the first of the Newfoundland premiers, Joey Smallwood. Information from Canadian Encyclopedia, Biography Member, Manitobans, Wikipedia, Métis Museum, Winnipeg Free Press, and the Toronto World. If this is your first time listening and you like what you heard, please take a moment and give us a five-star review to help other people find these amazing stories. And there are so many you can sink your teeth into. We also love hearing from you, so if you have a show topic you want me to cover, email me at craig at canadaehx.com, or stop by my website and social media. I'll include all of those links in the show notes.